Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. You know, if grace and truth is the the perfect balance for disciplining someone, it's really easy to get off balance. It's really easy to to go to the truth side too much and maybe be too harsh. Um, On the other hand, it's easy to go for some people, and this is a personality thing often, to go to the grace side too much and just be like, ah, it's no big deal. So maybe you've heard of the kind of parenting called drill sergeant parenting. So that would probably be the truth side. That'd be a little, that's where, you know, it's a little harsh. It's kind of in your face. It's, it's, it's light on the grace, remembering that we're all human beings and we, we make mistakes. So that would be the one side. Maybe the opposite kind of parenting is lawnmower parenting. Have you heard of this? Okay, this is not, I just heard about this a couple months ago. So Lawnmower parenting is a little different than helicopter parenting. Helicopter parenting is where you hover and you wait for something to happen and then you go in and rescue. Okay, lawnmower parenting is you just remove the problems to begin with. Like you just, you just, you know, you want your kids to have smooth sailing and so you just get out in front of them and you take all those obstacles away. I'll give you an example of a disciplining experience that that my wife and I had early on, and I did get permission from from my daughter to share this, but my daughter Jessica, when she was about three, so you you can listen to this, you can decide where we fall on the continuum, okay? I'll just, I'll leave that up to you. But so my daughter Jessica, when she was three, one night, Sherry made a new dish, and it was chicken lasagna. And so we put that on the table, and our rule for our kids was always, you don't have to like everything that we serve, but you have to try everything. Okay, you at least have to try it. So this particular night, she would not. She was like, I'm not trying it. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even gonna taste it. And so we said, well, you're gonna stay at the table there until, until you do. And so she did, and this is what happened. And so fortunately, at that time, she was carrying a blanket with her all the time. And so she just rolled it up there, made her a little pillow. So we left her that way for a while. And then we said, well, we'll put her in bed. And so we, we put her to bed and, uh, and then and without eating anything. And so then the next morning she woke up, it's time for breakfast. Hey, look what's for breakfast. <laughs> Chicken lasagna. And so somewhere along the line, I, I don't remember how long it took, but somewhere along the line, she actually tasted it and then moved on with her life. So, I mean, you, you know and that, that discipline is hard to get right. I mean, you know that either as a, as a parent or you know it because you've had a parent. You, you know that it's not easy to strike that, that balance of, of grace and truth. So what about God? What about God's discipline for us? Where would he fall on that continuum of, of grace and truth? Well, we would love for him to be a lawnmower parent, wouldn't we? And some of our prayers are, you know, God, would you just take, take this away, take this out of, of my life? We would love for him to be a lawnmower parent, but then we read, 
like the, the prophets, we get to prophet like Hosea and we're reading that and we're thinking, man, this sounds awful like, like, like a drill sergeant. Like it's kind of like mean and, and harsh. It seems sometimes maybe a little unbalanced. This morning, we're gonna look at an example of God's discipline. And we're, we're gonna hear the why behind the discipline And I think that we will all probably be a little more encouraged by God's discipline than maybe we expect to be. If you take a Bible and turn with me to Hosea chapter two. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one on a seat close to you. It'll be real, real helpful for you to follow along with us. And Hosea two is on page 837. If you weren't with us last week, in chapter one of Hosea, we were introduced to this living sermon, if you will, a living object lesson where God asks Hosea, the prophet, to marry a prostitute, and so a wayward wife. And so he, th- this provides a concrete picture for, for the people of Israel who are engaging in idolatry. And so let me just give you, let, let's just agree on a definition of idolatry, because this will be helpful for us even as we go through the whole book. Let's say that idolatry is when we give our best attention and affection and adoration to someone other than the true God who made us. When we give our best, it doesn't mean we we don't give any attention or affection to, to other people, but when we give our primary attention and affection and adoration to someone other than the true God who who made us, that would be idolatry. So as we go into chapter two, uh, I encourage you to watch the character development. There are three characters here. And so I'll just introduce them to you now. The, The first would be the faithful husband. And so in the living illustration, that is Hosea. And in the spiritual realm, that would be Yahweh, the true God. The wayward wife that Homer married was Gomer. And in the spiritual realm, it was Israel, the nation of Israel. Then we have the silent lover as the third character here. In the in the living illustration, he is not named. Actually, there would be plural of unnamed. In the spiritual realm, we will see his name today is Baal, one of the false gods of Canaan, the area there where Israel was was living. So interestingly, the the silent lover, they're they're silent because they're they're always off stage, like they never have a speaking part. We never really see who they are. And in Baal's case, he couldn't speak, period, because he's non-existent. He's a pretend god, but they are worshiping him. So For fun, I think it's not off base to look at chapter two of Hosea as a country song. Okay, so we're gonna do that today. Um, And I just wanna be clear that I do not listen to country music. I know I would lose respect with some of you um, if I said that I did. But what what experience I have is that 95% of country songs, their their theme is something to do with a jilted lover, right? And they, they are, you know, going after... Uh, they're planning revenge or they're trying to recover their truck or their dog or, you know, something like that. So, 
So let's call Hosea chapter two, the song of the faithful husband, because the faithful husband is the one who is speaking here. There are gonna be three verses and three choruses, and we will know that we've gotten to the chorus because it starts with the word, therefore. So just one more thing before we get into this. I, this, is, this is heavy, kind of downer kind of material. And I know on a day like this, some of you probably came, maybe some of you are here for the first time and you're like, I'm coming, I'm looking for some encouragement. Okay, it starts off rough. There's a big payoff at the end, so hang on for that. All right, Hosea 2, verse one actually belongs with chapter one. So we're gonna start with verse two. And I'm gonna read some of this as, as we read. I'm gonna paraphrase some of it as we go because I wanted to keep this PG today. So if my words don't match your words exactly, you, you will know why. All right, starting in verse two. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Plead that she put away her looks of prostitution and the unfaithfulness she engaged in. There's some character development right here in, in this first verse. The, the faithful husband is pleading. He says, plead with your mother, plead. She is not my wife. So he, this is figurative language because she still is his wife, but she's not acting like his wife. And I'm not her husband. I can't be her husband if she's gonna act like this. But he says, plead, plead. I mean, th this is the, the heart of, of someone who's wounded, and then we have the wayward wife in the second half here. She needs to put away her looks of prostitution. She's still engaging in that. And she needs to, instead of being unfaithful, she needs to be faithful. Verse three is a warning of, con of consequences if she does not change her ways. So verse three says, lest I strip her and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. That would be the consequences if she refuses to stop her ways. Question, okay, right here in the middle of verse three, it says, make her like a wilderness. Question, when has Israel been in the wilderness before? Okay, in the, in the Exodus, okay, as, as, as they left, and they're wandering in the wilderness. And he says here, I will make her as in the day she was born. Okay, remember, we're talking about the nation of Israel. That's when she was born, and she ends up in the wilderness. File that away, because it's gonna come back later. In verse five, we get introduced. I'm not gonna read every verse today, and it's not because there's something in there that I don't wanna deal with. It's just because of time, because I'm dealing with a lot of stuff here. You know what I'm saying? All right, so verse five, we get introduced to the silent lover. For their, their mother has played the prostitute. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my, my drink. All right, the definition, the definition of a prostitute is someone who offers their body for, for pay. And I, I want to just pause here with something that I forgot to, to really point out last week. I meant to, and, and I forgot. 
as we talk about the, the sin of prostitution, last week we were very focused on the woman and we highlighted a, a couple of women in scripture who engaged in that. I wanna just acknowledge that the sin of prostitution really doesn't exist unless men create a market for it. So men are equally culpable and I'm, I'm talking by and large, I'm sure there's other variations with, with genders, especially these, these days, but by and large, men create the market for prostitution, and so they are guilty of, uh, when they engage in this sin as well. So in fairness to, to females. So for Israel, if, if prostitution is about offering something for pay to receive something back, then in the case of Israel, what we see here in verse five is that the pay is bread and water. I'm going after my lovers who give me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. All of these have to do with agriculture. All of these have to do, and remember, they're in an agrarian society. This is, this is how they live. And so we are gonna find out before this song is over, the name of the lover is, is Baal. And because Baal is the God of fertility. And so what the nation of Israel learned from her neighbors around her is that when you're having a bad year, agriculturally, when you're having a bad year farming-wise, if you're not bringing in any crops, if it's not raining, then where do you go? You go to Baal. And so you take your attention and your affection and your adoration to Baal, and you say, Baal, would you get us out of this? Would you bring some rain? Would you bring you know, some, some crops? And so the, there's a warning for us in this, and that is that we need to be careful about going after false gods because we want them to prosper us. We're, we're, we, we need to be aware of taking our attention, our affection, our adoration to a false God because we think that they're going to be able to give us what we want. That's verse one of this song. Now we come to the first chorus. It is introduced by the word therefore in verse six. Therefore, I will hedge her up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. So remember, this is the faithful husband who is saying this. I'm gonna hedge her up. I'm gonna keep her from going where she wants to go. Now, if we rip that verse out of its context, that might sound mean, like, God, or God, why would you do that? Faithful, what kind of faithful husband does that? Well, remember where she's trying to go in verse five. She says, I will go after my lovers. And so faithful husband says, if you won't choose to do the right thing, then I'll prevent you from doing the wrong thing. Which leads us to the second verse of this song of the faithful husband and that is verse seven. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. So the wayward wife can't get to her lover. She says, I'm gonna go back to faithful husband, but why is she going back? 
I mean, it sounds good. I will go and return to my first husband. That sounds like a positive thing. But why is she doing it? Is she doing it to repent? Is she doing it to reconcile? No, she says, it was better for me then than it was now. I mean, my, my life was, was better. Now everything is closed off to me. So her, her heart is not fully right, but at least she's headed in the right direction. That, that's something. And, and here's what we're learning about the faithful husband who is the, the true God. God's discipline is designed to restore relationship. God's discipline, God's discipline is designed, first of all, it's not arbitrary, like ours sometimes is, unfortunately, if we're in a hurry or we're angry or whatever, ours doesn't have a whole lot of thought to it. So God's is carefully designed, and the purpose behind his discipline is to restore relationship. It's not to get what he wants. It's not to be punitive. It is to restore relationship. It is designed to create the conditions that are most conducive to reconciliation and restoration. That is what God is after when he is designing discipline for us. It may feel painful. In, in this case, she's like, she's not getting what she wants. She's not getting to go where she wants, but God, it's, God's design is to try to woo us back to himself. God knows, God gets the balance between grace and truth perfectly right. He never gets unbalanced in either direction. God knows that sin separates. It separates us. And this, this is from another prophet, Isaiah. Sin separates. Our iniquity has separated us from God. It separates us from each other through all kinds of conflict. It separates us from, from ourselves. We, we get disconnected and, and chaotic internally. And so God's discipline is designed to restore all of those relationships, starting with our relationship with, with him. That's where it all flows from. Now we hit a second therefore in verse 9. So we've come to the second chorus. Verse nine, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her. So the faithful husband is saying, if she's not gonna recognize where these things come from, then I'm gonna take them back. I'm going to withhold them. Third verse, verse 11. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. Israel is mixing the, the worship of the true God with the worship of, the, of false gods. So Sabbaths are in here. Sabbaths are the, the core. They're, the, they're part of the identity of the Hebrew people. When God brought them out of Egypt where they worked seven days a week, 365 days a year, he brought them out and he said, now I'm, I'm giving you a day a week to to rest, because, because we need to rest in what God does for us, what, ultimately what Christ has done for us. And we need to rest for a day because we need to remember that the world 
We don't hold the world together. It's going to keep spinning if we take a day off. God is the one who keeps it spinning, not us. And so Sabbath reminds us of that. So they were doing that, but then they had added to it all these other things, feasts, new moons, appointed feasts. Verse 13 talks about the feast days of Baal, where they burned offerings to Baal. And so in verse 12, I mean, I'm sorry, verse 11, so it sounds bad and rough at first. I will put an end to all her mirth. So again, it's just like, wow, God, you're, you're so harsh. But the reason being is that they're, they're, she's going the wrong direction. He's trying to wake her up to reality. So we need to, we should take a lesson from this, to beware, be really careful about mixing the worship of the true God with, with lies. Uh, that, that's so prevalent in our, our culture. I mean, we've got, you know, shows on cable. We've got um, things on the internet and books and all kinds of stuff that take things that basically look a lot like Christianity but mix some lies in, in there. And the only way we're going to be able to recognize that is to be so familiar with the truth that we recognize the lies when we come across them. I want to skip verse 12 because it, it paints a picture of the exile that is coming. Another discipline. Verse 12, I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. So this is a picture of an abandoned land as, as the people of Israel are taken out in exile. That's gonna happen 50 years in the future from when Hosea is teaching and he paints this picture of what it's gonna be. All right. Are you encouraged so far this morning? Yeah, wow, okay. Ready? We're, we're ready. We're ready for some encouragement. All right, there's, so far there's been a lot of discipline, a lot of consequences for wayward Israel. Now the mood is gonna change here at the end of the song. Verse 14, here's our third chorus, with, starting with therefore. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Therefore, all the discipline and all the correction that we've seen is driving towards a happy ending because, because God's discipline is designed to restore relationship. In verse 14, the faithful husband is inviting the wayward wife Israel where? to the wilderness, where, where it all began. We know that for sure because in verse 15, see, see wilderness at first when we read that, it's like, wow, who wants to go there? Like, I'm like, wow, just you know, take me to the beach or something. But I mean, why are we going to the wilderness? But in verse 15, the second half there, it says, she shall answer, we'll get to the first half in a minute. She shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. When Israel was just out of Egypt, when they were at Sinai, God made a covenant with them. We could call it a marriage vow in this analogy of the faithful husband. 
And so that's what happened back in the wilderness. And God says, let's go back there. Let's go back there and start over. Let, let's try this, maybe in the words of a country song, let, let's try this again. And here's good news for us this morning. Here's finally some encouragement. It is never too late to start over with God. God's attitude is what happened has, has happened. God's grace is more powerful than whatever you did. Let's go back and start over again. In the first half of verse 15, he says, there I will give her her vineyards. So he's giving back what he took away in verse 12, where he said, I'll lay waste her vines. I will give her her vineyards there. And this is even, this is incredibly encouraging. He will make the valley of Achor a door of, of hope. I don't have time, but I have to spend time on this because we have to understand what the valley of Achor is. Some of you will remember it and others not. When Israel was done wandering in the wilderness and ready to go into the promised land, there was a huge battle called uh, the Battle of Ai. And God was very specific as Israel went in there and said, you, you must not take anything, you must not keep anything for, for yourselves. And there was a man named Achan who did. He, he took things. And so the next battle was a huge loss. And so there was a discipline for, for Achan. Joshua confronted him. And then the result in Joshua 7 was that all Israel stoned him with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor was a, as a symbol of shame that's carried down through, through the generations. And it's a pile of lifeless rocks, a symbol of discipline. And God says, I will make that valley a door of hope. It's, a, it's the beginning of a, a new beginning. Even God, here's the hope, is that even, I mean, God can take even that shame from, from your past, that area of discipline from your past, and he can, he can turn that into a door of hope. Only God can do that. And finally, finally, at last, the wayward wife is restored. Verse 15 Second half, there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. There she will answer, she will respond. The husband, the faithful husband offers the covenant and now she responds and says, yes, I do, I will. That, that word answer is, is translated seeing in some other translation, New King James, for example. So just like at first, when things were new, before everything went wrong, now she can sing again because the faithful husband brought discipline, and he still does. Hebrews 12, 
Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The peaceful fruit of righteousness comes not to everyone, to those who have been trained by the the discipline. So you and I can get angry. We can resist. We can fight God when painful circumstances come, or we can be trained. We can look to our faithful husband and we can answer him as he initiates with us. We can sing to him. Donald Gray Barnhouse says the, the pursuing love of God is the greatest wonder of the spiritual universe. When you and I wander from God, when we prostitute ourselves, he comes after us. And his discipline, and he brings discipline, he brings correction, his discipline is designed not to harm us, not to be punitive, to restore our relationship. So some of you here today are are hearing his call to come back, to come back to the beginning. Can we just start this over? That's God calling you and making that possible. Now through the sacrifice of Christ that covers over your, your sin. Sin separates but Jesus' blood washes away that sin. We sang about that earlier. Some of you need to come back. Some of you, it's, this is new, and you're at the beginning. God's calling you, and you can know that this is a faithful husband, a faithful father who gives discipline, a faithful husband because he calls us into the to be the bride of Christ. He's calling some of you today. And we're going to sing. The band is going to come. And as they are singing, um, I just pray that you will respond, whether that's there in your seats or if you want to come forward, we would love the opportunity to pray with you. Let's pray now. Father, thank you for your incredible grace toward us. Thank you for the, the amazing picture in the book of Hosea that's so full of Uh, discipline that at times seems very harsh to us, but thank you, Lord, that your heart is restoration and that uh, you do it in a way that no one else can. May we watch you, learn from you, and may we respond to you as you call us back to the beginning. You're calling some people back from their wanderings and their waywardness. Lord, may they respond to your voice. May may the person who's been wandering and wayward and, and never encountered you before, may they respond to your call as well. We pray in Jesus' name.